And welcome once again to another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. I am Bob McDonald, and I'm on Twitter at Bob McDonald. And with me, my my co-host, my faithful co-host, Jimmy Lemke. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm good here for another week. Another week. <laughs> and Jimmy is at uh, PantherU on Twitter. And you can always follow the podcast on Twitter as well at Horizon RT. Today, uh, Jimmy, we we've got uh, we've got a gaggle of guests again. Yep, just a, a veritable gaggle. Veritable gaggle, veritable rogues gallery, if you will. Um, so today, I've got uh, we've got uh, Matthew Johns and Sean McDonald. Uh, they are from the Reserve News, and these guys basically and. I'm not even, this is, I want to not be, have this as a hyperbole, but it just seems like it's fact at this point in time. These are the guys who are basically own Cleveland State coverage right now. So uh, thanks for having, thanks for coming on, Matt and Sean. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure and looking to have some fun. All right. And, um, and also joining us again is the founder of the Catch and Shoot, uh, which focuses primarily on, Chicago College Hoops, Chicago Basketball, Jesse Kramer. Hey, nice to be back. Yeah, thanks for having, uh, thanks for coming, being on. So, um, my primary focus, I wanted to start off basically um, by talking a little bit about kind of, and I know Jesse, when we last came, when you were last on, we didn't really talk a lot about um, kind of the the origins of of your respective sites so uh sean matt um i i've been very interested in kind of the 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 how the the reserve has kind of built itself up since the the first uh first podcast back last year so kind of walk us a little bit through kind of the kind of the origins of, of of what how the reserve news is kind of started and and kind of go from there. So, uh, Matt, do you want me to do this or do you want to do it? Or I got this. Okay. So basically, <laughs> good. this all, uh, the, res- the idea of the reserve started, um, would have been after the spring 2017 semester. There was, um, a group of editors for one of the student publications at Cleveland state who had some different views on different things within the publication. And basically we all decided that we were going to go a different direction. So the four of us wanted to create something that would give us a little bit more freedom in what we publish and more importantly, freedom in timeliness of publishing things so that we could cover things that were, you know, not necessarily just fluffy, soft pieces that would get thrown out in a couple of weeks and still be able to matter. We wanted to cover things that could be a little more meaningful and get out there right away, right after the thing happened. So we decided to start the reserve and um, kind of focus on smaller events, arts, sports, stuff like that around Cleveland. And we've been undergoing some pretty significant changes over the past maybe two or three months to where Sean and I have been trying to kind of redirect the website and really focus in on more of just arts and sports and cutting out all of the extra stuff that wasn't really doing well. Okay. So, uh, Sean, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, it's all about freedom to write what you need to do. And it's all about being able to try new things. Being independent has allowed us to do things like podcasts and beat writing and things that you can't really do when you publish every two weeks and things that you can't really do if you're going to, you know, write for somebody else. Um, And it also gives us a lot of freedom to say, okay, let's try like minor league baseball. Let's go try and cover minor league baseball. Let's see if the numbers are there. Let's see if we can, you know, put a flare on this. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's really you get to go toe to toe with, you know, some of the bigger publications that Bob is outspoken about on Twitter. Who, me? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. I'm sure you will. But they're, you know, and you got to look for where the hole is. So everybody sure, covers sure. the NBA. There really wasn't any great Cleveland State coverage. Cleveland.com didn't cover it a lot. Um, Neo Sports Insiders would a lot of the times copy just the game reports that the PR guy would send out. So 
you know, you you see the hole and you fill it. And then there was and then there was me who who you know only wrote once a week and usually was snarky as hell. <laughs> now the the question I have: Are you having trouble getting access? Surprisingly, um, no. Yeah. Um, are you kidding me? <laughs> there have been a couple of things here and there that we've tried that haven't really worked out, but. Uh, we've been doing some coverage with the captains, and they're they were very cool with it. Um, captains is uh, Cleveland, the Indians minor league team out in uh, you know the Lake eastern County. suburbs. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. uh, we've been exchanging emails with the Rubber Ducks down in Akron. Um, we're gonna nice. look to get down there. Um, I mean, Greg Murphy over with Cleveland State and his crew in the information department of the athletics has been phenomenal in doing pretty much anything that you know we've requested and helping i will us. say this i'm and, and, I, I, I greg murphy is an excellent sid uh yeah. csu sid on twitter it. and by the way i absolutely agree jimmy um for as many years as greg's had to put up with me i mean the guy's a saint <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, kevin o'connor will have war stories to share that'll be <laughs> similar to greg's for you and you know Spencer helping us out with lacrosse this year and Renee with women's basketball. They've, they've been absolute saints over there and have really been um, allowing us to produce the content we've, we've wanted to. So, and then even on the arts side, I mean, we've got um, Gwen has connections over at Playhouse Square that she's able to get in and do theater stuff over there. And we've been contacting Beachland Ballroom and everybody's really been phenomenal for us. And so I wouldn't it? want to say the coach, all of the coaches at Cleveland State, especially when we did the Viking invasion, have been very helpful, taking time out of their day to do interviews, even to tell a story about KPA since she's retiring now. She actually did the same interview twice because there was a malfunction with some microphones and some stuff didn't get recorded. So, you know, she was nice enough to take time out of her day a second time to do an interview. So, I mean, all of them, you, they've really enjoyed having the coverage. Um, and they've been very helpful. So. Well, so, and, and on your end, Jesse, I know not you with, with the catch and shoot, you cover not just UIC, but um, a lot of the other Chicago area schools. What, what was uh, kind of the, you know, start for you on that front? I understand now, you know, coming from where you were as a journalism student. Yeah, so it actually started when I was in New York in high school, um, it was just sort of like a, pass- a passion project when I had some more time after I submitted all my college applications senior year. So I just started covering some of the local schools, mainly mid-majors in the New York area, like Manhattan College, Iona, Fordham, Columbia, a little bit of LIU Brooklyn, those teams. And um, and then I guess it was a few months after that. It started in January, and then I guess in April or May, I found out that I was going to go to Northwestern for college and study journalism. And I guess when I got to Chicago, um, I was kind of surprised not only by the lack of big media coverage from the big papers for local college basketball, but also there weren't that many blogs even, like things that were similar to what I was doing. Whereas in New York, you know, you had not great coverage all the time from the big newspapers, but still some. And then you also had a ton of blogs. It seemed, you know, there were like three or four different blogs that were like really dedicated to covering basically all the schools in the local area. And they didn't really have that in Chicago. So I saw it as a good opportunity to just on in my spare time as a college student really see what type of market there was for it. You and saw it a hole me, and you filled it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so it, it gave me a lot of you know freedom to just sort of kind of like what uh, Sean was just saying, just like the freedom as an independent site to just do – really whatever you want and just see what sticks. You could focus on game coverage. You could focus more on features. You could see just what brings in the numbers, what brings in the engagement and see what people like. And yeah, so for me, I like, I kind of knew from the start, I really wanted to cover Loyola and UIC just because I'd always been a big mid-major person. I grew up as a Manhattan College fan here. And I I always loved that mid-major atmosphere, being in a tiny gym where you're right up close to everything. And, um, and they were actually really good with giving me access right away. I remember U- UIC, they were the first local school in Chicago to give me access, and they kind of just let me go for it from the start. They gave me a full credential and you know let me come to practice whenever I asked, basically. And then I think 
with Loyola once they saw that like UIC was letting me do my thing and that I was serious about what I was doing and, you know, doing as much as I could to be a respectful journalist, even though I was really young at the time. Um, they kind of saw that and then they, they let me get some access. And then after a year of doing that, with, I think, yeah, my first year was just Loyola and UIC, I think. And then after that, I was able to get access with Northwestern and DePaul um, to kind of, you know, complete everything and have the full picture of Chicago hoops. And it really started to grow. I guess it was the first two years were a little bit slower and then it really grew my junior year, which would have been the 15, 16 season. And then, you know, it kept growing a lot during the 16, 17 season too. All right. Now, um, and I know we talked a little bit about this uh, before we started recording. Um, you both, all three of you, started this uh, started in relation to the, these sites. I mean, um, you know, you with the catch and shoot starting in high school, and then kind of migrating that into uh, into the into Chicago land, into into that realm. And um, Sean, you and Matt, obviously, you know, you start you you started the reserve based upon. You know, given getting the uh, starting to write about things that not necessarily everybody's writing about, and and it's interesting. Um, my question to you guys uh, is with regards to the sustainability. You know, what what is what is the future hold for for these two uh, for these two sites? I mean, um, Jesse, I know we talked a little bit about. I know you are. I understand uh, back in New York again, and. Uh, so where, where does the future lie for, for these two sites? Yeah, so for me with the catch and shoot, it's, I, I mean, I don't write that much anymore on the website just because I'm not around the programs every day. So um, I just don't have the same opportunities in terms of just my time and my access to really tell the stories of those Chicago schools. But that being said, I still, you know, have kept up with them basically as closely as I always have during this past season and still did a little bit of writing when I had the time and opportunities to, I did a couple of features on Loyola and UIC and, um, but I've still been using like the, my Twitter account to just sort of stay involved in that Chicago basketball community and still be a voice um, in that community um, on Twitter. And when I do, you know, I, I haven't, re- I don't, I barely wrote on, the actual catch and shoot website, but I was writing for college insider a bit. And I hope to do that again next year. Cause they're a pretty cool mid-major publication. Um, and sort of like promoting all of it through the catch and shoot and funneling it through there. I guess for us at the reserve, you know, as far as the immediate future goes, um, you know, the content that we're producing is ever evolving and Sean and I are constantly bouncing ideas off of each other and just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and, um, as far as the long-term future, um, it honestly isn't as reckless as it sounds. It's really just kind of taking it day by day because Sean and I are both going to be, you know, Sean graduates in a semester. I graduate in a year and, you know, obviously we need to, you know, think about our own well-being and full-time jobs and supporting ourselves. So, I mean, I, I think both of us would love to see the reserve, you know, thrive and continue to grow and at the very least be something that we can do on the side of, you know, uh, a professional gig, but it, it's so hard just with all the moving parts to really predict what the long-term future of the website is. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing right now and what we've been working on is recruitment because the more writers you can add, not only to like your think tank, but think tank, but just to your site in general helps all of the other content because you're going to have people coming to see one writer and they'll see the others and it kind of keeps it going. Um, so it all, it, I mean, it's all riding on that. We'd like to reach into some other types of coverage, some high school coverage, some, you know, some more arts and music stuff around town. So, I mean, it's really all, you know, giving that opportunity that we've had to write and become better writers to other people. Finding people it, is, I, yeah. Go ahead, Jimmy. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, um, you know, I, I'm, Thinking back to the time when I was a sports editor at the UWM Post, the school paper over there, before it got kiboshed, and we had, when I was a sports editor, we had as much, when I started, it was just me and another guy, and eventually I grew it up to 15 people, 
And the problem that I found was it was it wasn't just finding people, but it was finding reliable people. Mm-hmm. Some people would be very, you know, very good, and some people would just you'd be very, you know, be quite flaky. And it was difficult finding people that were really reliable. Um, so you you have to find somebody that's got the passion. But when you do, and you can keep them, you can keep them interested and keep them writing, you can really do some really special stuff, which we were really able to do at the post for. Opened. We would run fifteen articles in one week. That would be you know in 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 one print edition of the newspaper that that really fleshed out everything Mm -hmm. and then we were able to cover all of the small sports and that's what's so nice about about that is that they really appreciate it they really appreciate it when you can get people out to to tell their story and as long as you can get people that are reliable for it then you know all, all the better but you know it can be real difficult finding those people yeah well at the end of our uh our cauldron days the sports section was almost like the me matt and kevin show it, it's tough it's tough to find people you'd imagine with all the journalists around campus that you'd be able to find people really easily but a lot of people for some reason have this in their mind where they just they want to go straight from not writing to writing about pro sports and they start like calves blogs and you know they're throwing their, you know, Cavalier or Brown's opinion up against a thousand other Brown's opinions, and they're not <laughs> yeah. going. Oh, for- yeah. it, 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 I'd like to say that that has changed in the last twenty years. It has not. Um, Cleveland State is such a weird place when it comes to uh, uh, comes to the writing because because as you said, the default response is, "Hey, I want to I want to cover the pro- I, I write about the pro teams," but they seem to forget that small part where. Oh yeah, I actually have to write about something else first. Um, well, and the other the other problem with that is that with the pro teams, and and Cleveland, like Milwaukee, like Chicago, like New York, these are pro sports towns. Yep. First and foremost, so people want to gravitate towards the the pro sports, and I, I would get people that would come in and be like, you know, I've I've got this, and I'm like, well, but you want to write an opinion about the Packers we're two hours away I can't get you credentials to Packer games what's the point and they'll and they'll talk you know they'll say some some bullshit about you know well I've got a different I've got a different take and a different opinion that people are gonna be no you don't dude no (laughs) you really don't and even 10 years ago there were 55 different blogs yeah about the Green Bay Packers, but everybody wants to talk about the Packers because, you know, religion here. And it's like, yeah, but do you really want to be a journalist? Because if you want to be a journalist, you know, every every big time editorial writer that you that you know, and back then, you know, it was the the all the guys that were on around the horn, and Kornheiser and Wilbon and all like the, the big national writers, like those guys started out as as stringers and then beat writers covering, you know, teams on a daily basis, call it, you know, covering Poughkeepsie high school. You you have to be able to, you have to be able to cover the small stuff and work your way up to that. Like you don't just automatically flick a switch and then there you go. And What's, people just don't get it. What's hilarious to me is we've compared our, uh, view numbers on Cleveland State articles to some other sites, you know, like we called them, you know, hey, how do you, how does your content do on this and that? And like their Cleveland State stuff might get like 200 views tops, and that's maybe where ours tops out too. And then their high school stuff will get 800 and out in the first hour. And you try yeah. and tell people that when like you're bringing, talking to new writers, maybe at an SBJ student conference or something, and they're like, oh yeah. I'm like, dude, no. Like, people care more sometimes about the Saint Eds and Ignatius and their sure. alma maters. And it's, you know, oh, I wanted to know. Everybody's got a Brown the podcast, and nobody's listening to it. 
I think, and, and to Jimmy's point and to what you guys talked about as well, you guys, now, now that you guys have essentially established yourself on the Cleveland State front and you, you guys see the, you guys initially, you guys see the value of the coverage and also see the value of covering it not once every two weeks because the, I mean, two, I mean, every two weeks is, is absolutely, you know, what, what's true now isn't going to be true two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys have a, so you, from your sites, your collective sites, you guys benefit from the, from the flexibility. I do also want to mention the fact that the cauldron was not, did not used to be, uh, at once every two weeks. That is a recent development. And I don't know who thought that one up. It used to be that, that weekly dumb as before. Twice it was weekly week. when I, when I first started, I think when Matt first started, it was weekly. It was one print yeah. edition and one online edition. Um, uh, if you go yeah. back in the archives, it twice used to be every three days. It used to be twice a week. Cause that's when, when I was, when I was sports editor there 20, no God knows how long years ago, it was twice a week. So we had to create, yeah. So, so we were the one, you know, so at that point in time, that made it made perfect sense to be able to do what we can do. And this is, you know, now mind you, of course, this was twice a week at a time before, uh, I think, God, more, more old jokes coming before the internet got really, really popular. So, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> but it, but again, to, but again, the big thing was you had you had a situation where you could focus on the co- the cover. You could focus on the coverage and focus on the uh, f- focus on the game stories. Do things like, for example, your local paper was doing on the high school front. Whereas, you know, now if you go to a if you go to a cauldron, if you're only doing it once every two weeks. If you're only publishing once every two weeks, exactly what is the point of writing a game story? Shouldn't I mean, you, you should be spending a lot. To, you, the focus should be more on probably feature stories or something like that. It has to be because, like, I'm on the the Cleveland Stater now, which publishes every three weeks. And so, if you're writing a sports article, you either either got to really plan it to happen before deadline, or you're doing a recap of multiple games. We um. And even for them, from the time it prints, like the, the final day when you send out the paper is a week after your deadline. So you're really kind of handicapped in that sense because there is no urgency. There is no news. You, you would have to go straight to just feature writing. Like that would, that would really be the only thing you could do at a biweekly paper. You, you wouldn't be able to do recaps because nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to read a recap on a game that happened a week and a half ago. Exactly. There are newspapers who do it. Like um, the scene, I think does a good job of that. Uh, CGN, um, you know, is, I believe still a weekly paper and they do a good job of getting out good coverage, but they still have the online front to get. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's kind of the other part that I, I'm, I'm a little mystified by is the fact that you guys figured out that, Hey, we, we have this online platform, we can use it, but clearly others haven't. I, and I'm a little mystified. I'm I'm kind of mystified by that. If especially if you are putting together a paper, if you are putting together a a, I don't really understand the logic behind that. They, uh, I mean, what what I will say is that I made my bones and learned most of what I knew from the cauldron. I started doing the yeah. cauldron before I became a writer, so I'll always be grateful to them for learning everything. Um, but it's a lot of that's external forces. A lot of that is outside funding. You don't really have the funding print a thousand or 500 papers every couple of days anymore. Um, a lot of that is what, you know, we, we talked about reliability of writers. Well, you also have to have a reliability of your web editor. Um, our web editor never posted any of our stories and that site doesn't (laughs) exist anymore. And I guess the new web editor also left and was supposed to design a new site. And, you know, it's not all bad. It's, it's just sometimes it's just what it is. That's what you have, and you got to make the best of what you have. Um, yeah, I, we were just lucky enough that you can get a WordPress site. I mean, it's cheaper than 
ever to go start your own site now. Hosting is cheap. You can design your own site. So it's really just adapting to like, hey, it's really cheap to do this now. We just have to rethink it. Yeah, and Sean and I, like I mentioned earlier, we had to make a decision, you know, with our future in mind. And it it didn't make sense for us to continue to tread water with the cauldron. And like Sean said, I'm I'm forever grateful for everything I learned there. And, you know, I've evolved so much as a writer and an editor there. But what we've been able to do over the past almost year now with the reserve and in my mind, I think we've pretty much become the epicenter of Cleveland State sports coverage and really building a sense of, you know, responsibility and being relied upon by people on social media and stuff like that to deliver that news. You know, people, it's it's gotten to the point now where people tweet at us and ask us questions about what's going on and we can go and we can figure that stuff out for people. Whereas in the past with the cauldron, we weren't able to do that. So for Sean and I, I think we've been able to really further evolve in our young careers as a journalist. And I think, you know, it, at the end of the day, that business decision for us even though we might not be getting as many eyes on our mm-hmm. material right now as we were with the cauldron at the end of the day, it really has paid off for all of those other reasons that a lot of people really don't think about. Mm-hmm. And when you run your own website and you can see the view numbers and you can see your ad sales and all that, you have a chance to fail and failings your biggest asset. We've tried to cover different sports around CSU and we've tried to do maybe cover some other things. And then when it gets 15 views three times in a row, you say, okay, it's not only about the the quality of writing anymore. You have to now think about the business of journalism. What do people want to read? What is there a market for? And we're constantly, you know, saying, okay, maybe this isn't worth the time anymore. Maybe this specific article or this specific thing we're doing just isn't going to work out well because you know it's great content and maybe we enjoy doing it but sometimes and when we enjoy doing it we keep doing it but sometimes if it's a lot of driving time and it's a lot of time spent covering it and you you know it's not a pleasant experience to do and then you're not you're obviously not putting out something that somebody wants to read you know, you had that teaches you something that teaches you about okay, I need to think in a different way because, regardless of good writing, wherever you go, your job is to share information with people. So, if people aren't reading that or getting your information and you're not doing your job, it's not necessarily view chasing as much as it is chasing what people are interested in. And Sean and I are pretty much, you know, and everybody with us, you know, we're, we're learning the business side of journalism as much as we're learning the, you know, the written side. And I guess the, the best way to put it is we're kind of walking on broken ankles right now where, you know, we, we're kind of stumbling, we're, we're swaying, we don't really know exactly where to, you know, put our coverage at, you know, where should we put our efforts at. And it's just constantly a learning experience and some things we're hitting on. I mean, Cleveland State sports have been a major hit. But like Sean said, there have been a couple of things that we have covered that have been complete misses. And, you know, it, it, it's all part of the learning experience. And I, I think, uh, you know, what Sean and I have learned over the past nine, ten months now, it's been so valuable. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly glad that we, we decided to go this route rather than stick with the safe route and collect our scholarship and stay another year, two years, whatever, with the cauldron. And on a comic side note, Matt and I are also literally walking at broken ankles because it's what we complain about every day after the wreck. Sean and I are very clumsy people. We are, uh, <laughs> every day it's like, my, my legs hurt. I need new ones. <laughs> Where do I go get new legs? All right. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about today, um, I, I think we'll, we'll, give, uh, we'll give Detroit Mercy a break this week because um, nothing's going on in that front as far as I know. And, well... I'm sure we could talk about it next week too. <laughs> I'm not sure where, uh, yeah, I'm not honestly sure where they're at, but what I do know is um, the one thing I did want to talk about today is, um, and it's something that has been going on, you know, for a while now. And ironically for years, Cleveland state was the, the poster child for, for this, but um I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, about the transfers. Um, you you have, you know, it, it used to be it 
endemic to just it used to be just one school and it happened and it was bad luck and whatever now you see it kind of all over the place i mean just in the last couple of weeks you've had uh you know everett winchester over at at wright state has announced that he's transferring um and so i guess the question is at this point in time because you have so many of them if you go on verbal commits right now there's hundreds and hundreds of different people uh, players who are looking to transfer in and out some of them have immediate eligibility some of them are going to have to sit out a year and that's not even counting uh some of the junior uh, any of the junior college transfers so in terms of the horizon league as a whole um and we talked about this with the with jack tally from the from from uh Bahala Vanguard last week about the benefits of getting those transfers in. Like they're right now, they're looking at you know the Alabama transfer Armandez coming in, and so you have a question where what does it look like in terms? Of, what are the benefits at this point in time? It used to be um, mid majors lost their. Could you? Uh, mid, yes. I, oh, <laughs> I was holding off on this. That's that's, that's my uh, that's my younger dog Harry who won't shut up. So congratulations, Harry. You're on the you're on the uh, you're on the podcast now. Congratulations. So uh, so in terms of the in terms of do are, are, is the transfer issue a dread in even within the Horizon League anymore? Because I as much as you see people the outflow coming in, you also see coming you know you also see the opportunity for people coming in and you've always have, it's just probably a little bit more prominent now. The uh, Youngstown state's kind of on fire right now. Cause everybody seems to be running away from it. They've had like the majority of their team either graduate or transfer at this point. I think, I think that, I mean, there's, there's of course the possibility that Calhoun just says, Hey, you know what? I want to use your scholarship. You're no longer, you're no longer welcome. <laughs> maybe, maybe a nicer way of putting it, but it could be. Yeah, Youngstown State is kind of a unique situation because um, all of the people. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy. I know we've talked about this a couple of times over the last few weeks, where mm-hmm. in their situation, all of the people who are transferring out are some of the old, all the old Jerry Slocum holdovers. And yeah, I mean, it, it looks like he's just kind of it looked to me like he's blowing it up and that's where he's trying to, you know, keep it up. So I'm fine with that. It's just kind of funny when you're looking at, you know, because I did a article on all the transfers that are leaving. Eventually, I'll update, update that when they all find somewhere else or whoever comes in. But you're looking at right now seven of them, one of them who lo- who left in December. And when you think about Jared Calhoun, I'm not sure how much of a candidate he was, but he was almost a candidate at Cleveland State. So, I mean, that easily could have been over where we are, you know, getting rid of everybody. Well, the, diff- the difference between, Cle- as you know, you guys know, the difference between Cleveland State and Youngstown State is Cleveland State had 16 years they were graduating anyway. Yeah. So within two years, they were only going to have you. They were only going to have a handful of Gary Waters holdovers anyway. Now they only have one. <laughs> they have Cash Thomas. Gary Waters scared and, away and players for Pelton. <laughs> well, yeah. So there's that too. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So and, and then in this for the young South State situation, where you know, you, you see Jared Calhoun and kind of a blow it up and start over again type of situation. Then you just have the Now I really have to talk about Detroit because it's just a matter of everybody leaving. And well, they don't have a, they don't have a coach yet. And, so and, it, and that has a lot really to do with it. It absolutely does. Um, and then, but then they put themselves behind the eight ball by fumbling around waiting to, you know, put, get a coach in. And then, you know, they and again, you know, as of this week, they there's still no news on that front. It can be quite damaging to yeah. not have a head coach, especially during the signing period. Absolutely, if you don't have a coach during the signing period, you're kind of screwed. 
and they absolutely are. I mean, you know, you, as bad as Detroit Mercy was, I can't even imagine as bad as Detroit Mercy was last year. I can't even imagine what we have to look forward to next year. And this in the league that by and large should be better than what it was last year. Although um, it should be better than it was last year. And, you know, to have that situation at Detroit Mercy still kind of lingering over the league as a whole, that, that hurts. And I think we lost Jimmy. <laughs> no. So, um, no. great. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you can, if you're going to get rid of a coach, you've got to mm-hmm. know who you're going to bring in, right? You've got to have an idea. Well, I thought for sure. I mean, honestly, you still have Jermaine Jackson, who's still there. And all signs should have pointed to Jermaine Jackson getting that job, whether it was a good idea or not. You know, obviously it wasn't, you know, it it was it was logic. But now, I mean, fast forward so many weeks later, they're still not making that decision. And so it's just one of those things that, and and maybe it's because of the fact that it's just. And I I keep keep harping on you know the Detroit Mercy situation, but let's face it, they're really the only team that doesn't have a coach in place, doesn't have a real direction, and looking at it, they're going through they're going through transition. Just like again. a lot of us have gone through lately, so yeah, and yeah, it's again, it's because Bakari Alexander, they thought he was the guy. He was a, he was an alum who had the pedigree. He was a guy who was a good recruiter. He was familiar with the area. He was, uh, you know, somebody that would get Detroit Mercy fans excited. And it didn't it didn't work out. You know, obviously it was a little bit of a special case, but it didn't it didn't work out so now you're back to the drawing board and that's you know it's it's okay like you know they'll figure their stuff out detroit will figure their stuff out or they'll just be the new youngstown state and whatever whatever happens you know it's it'll be it's it's all on the hiring you know they they keep hiring but you get a problem with them waiting their next couple of years were going to be trash anyways. So it stinks not having somebody during the spring signing period. But when, the, you know, if he, they hired a coach right before the spring signing period, that guy would be spending a lot of his first, you know, few weeks on a job recruiting his own players to stay anyways. So there's which is a, exactly there's, what happened, which is exactly what happened when Dennis Felton came in last season. And probably more to the point also, maybe not so much on the Jared Calhoun front, but that he, he had to have that to probably had to have that conversation as well. Yeah. Um, As far as like the transfers go, it's just a, it's the new normal. This is, this is how college basketball is now. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think that it's right that we really like stop, um, you know, adults, from being able to change teams or you know change schools that you say you can't go to school here you can't go to school there yeah the the thing that just bothers me even more so than that is obviously that we're not paying these kids that make schools money so there's there's a real it's just it it, it seems like a lot of in no, i don't want to call it indentured servitude or something but it's kind of it's kind of nuts. Like, if we're not going to be paying these kids, at least let them be able to transfer when a coach leaves, and not have to sit out a year. You know, who like, may it, have it a seems like the it seems like the NCAA is starting to get there. Getting there, close slowly but surely. I mean, y'all have been talking about that part for a year now. I, I think you're closer now to that than they were before, but. Um, the one other thing I wanted to talk about, I'm glad you brought up the whole, I actually am glad you brought up the, the paying of athletes thing. Cause I, I want to talk about um, 
uh, and I never thought I'd actually say this on a Horizon Roundtable podcast ever, but I, I want to talk about LeVar Ball. Yeah. Um, specifically, the, the this Junior Basketball Association that that he has decided that he that uh, the as I keep calling him the the Chris Jenner of basketball has uh, has brought to the fore. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't watch so, the Kardashians, so I don't get your reference all that well. Chris Jenner is the matriarch of the Kardashian family, and also I've. I apologize to everybody for bringing up Kardashians on any podcast or anywhere ever, but that's the best comparison. Basically, she's the matriarch. She's basically the one that that pretty much makes everything happen from the from their stupid show on E to all their other, you know, uh, from all their other projects on the planet. Look at me. LeVar Ball, basically same concept, except he's got sons who actually have talent. <laughs> so... So with the so his next kind of project has been this junior basketball association where um which is if i understand it correctly um is catering to uh basket players that want to jump from high school and play professionally in the united states and not just that and we also talked before we started the podcast about how the how the G League has now um, the NBA's developmental league has now started with having um, having players who are 18 years old, which is a year younger than the NBA minimum. So with those two kind of developments happening, where does that kind of what, what does that mean? In terms of, say, a Horizon League that is uh, that of which a lot of the talented mid majors, the potential talented mid major uh, players, could potentially look at that as an option, as opposed to saying I mean, to go uh, to a mid major like like a Horizon League school. I would I mean, imagine I, that yeah. the if you're going to a mid major and you're probably not highly anticipating going to the NBA, I would imagine that the college education will work out better for you financially than the junior basketball league or the G league would. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but for a lot of these kids who are going to mid majors, they're not entering the draft early. They're not guys who are going just to play. Honestly, I think that the G league is the real, the real root the real way to change things for the better. Um, there has to be a point. They have to figure out in the next CBA how to make it so that the elite players who really shouldn't be going to college because they're putting million, you know, they're leaving millions of dollars on the tables so that they can satisfy the NBA's one and done rule. These, these kids should they have to figure out a way in the CBA to get these guys to be able to stash them at the G League for a year or two and also be able to pay them? So there's there's some there's some difficulty in that. Um but that's the that's the future. Um you know, guys like Coach Calipari, that's that's the thing that they may dread because that'll be the thing that will, you know, take their players. Now for the Horizon League I do think there are some players. I think a guy like a Dikembe Dixon probably yeah. would be more inclined to go to something like that. Uh, Valpo had Sam Hanpa not that long, well, like ten years ago or so. He he dipped out early so that he could uh, that he could start playing professionally. Um, the other players may benefit from playing at the uh, you know playing at that level a little more, but really what. What uh, what I what I see if I'm looking at like how how the Horizon League shakes out with this, I don't think it's gonna affect the players a whole lot. Um, I Do certainly think- don't think the Lavar Ball League is going anywhere. I think the Lavar Ball League is an idea that popped in his head, and because he has no filter whatsoever, he just tweeted it out and started playing it out. I think Lavar Ball is a guy who. You know, a lot of us see him for the blowhard that he is, but I also think that he genuinely wants to help, like, 
kids. Like he wa- he wants to like help these kids who live in like inner cities that that may need to have that kind of income. I think he genuinely wants that, but I don't see anybody investing in it. I I, I don't even think like I don't even think Lonzo is investing a ton of money into that thing because what you, you to, just to get this right. First off, to get real investors, you have to be able to make money. There has to be a profit here. And I don't see people buying in to a third-level basketball league. Well, really fourth level, because this thing's going to be... It'll it'll be on the same level talent-wise as the NCAA if it were ever to come across. And when I say NCAA, I mean more like our level NCAA, not high, not like high majors. Because there will be some kids that will play at that level, but, you know, when I play there. But I think that the kids that would really have, like, NBA aspirations and don't want to play in the, you know, are, aren't going to the G League, they're still going to go to school. <laughs> so yeah, they're still going to go to school because that's going to be the best way to get the exposure. I don't see exposure being part of it. I don't see anybody investing in it. I think that there's a – you have – no matter how many teams you have, if you have eight teams – that's still eight coaching staffs, eight training staffs, eight team owners, eight, you know, eight full rosters. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about tens of millions of dollars of investment that needs. No, I get it. So we don't they, they don't they, they don't have the ability. You know, LeVar Ball is a big talker. And sure. he's, a, he's a guy who's got a lot of big ideas and he wants to do a lot of cool things. It's good for him. And, you know, for, for his kid's sake, like, you know, hopefully he does all right. And, you know, maybe if he can find a niche, but I also know that the CBA and the ABA still exist, but nobody's buying tickets to their games because the, there's no, they they really exist to be like the the last bastion of quote unquote professional basketball for people who just don't want to give up the game anymore. You know, people who aren't ready to give up the game, that's their spot. And I don't I, I see LeVar Ball's league being something more like that. Well for for LeVar frankly. Ball's for Le, for LeVar Ball's league to be successful and for it to attract the talent that it would need to begin to generate a profit and really be sustainable, it, it is going to have to pass up the NCAA as on on the level of you know being a route to the N- NBA. You know, it's going to have to be greater a greater opportunity for players to make it to the NBA than the NCAA is. You know, it, as much as the the mindsets of the the generation of the the Sean and I's is is changing, you know. It, people still have the long term in mind more than the short term, and you know if Levar Ball's league is going to pay the players, it might be a better short term option for these players. But in the long term, if Levar Ball's league is not showing that it is a that it has better potential to land somebody in the NBA that the NCAA has. It's, it's not going to be successful, and it's not going to convince somebody to go play for one of the, you know, say, eight teams in LeVar Ball's league rather than Kentucky or Villanova or, you know, Cleveland State or whoever. It, I, I think the only – if it is going to be successful, it's going to take so long to get there that I don't know that it would have the ability to last long enough to get to that point. I think a big thing that he would have to think about, and I don't know what time of year he's thinking of playing, but a lot of the off-brand football leagues, let's call them, will play in the spring, although or they'll play when football isn't going on. I mean, he could pro. I mean, you could probably make a successful business out of that. I mean, minor league makes enough money to stay around. A lot of these football teams, these smaller ones, and a lot of smaller leagues are around. I don't think it's going to become, you know, big baller or anything like that to steal his term. But I don't think it's going to upset the NCAA. It might he might be able to keep the league going, but I don't think he's going to pull away anybody who's really going. I mean, I am seeing my Twitter now. The same way you'll see people will retweet when their friends get, you know, 
commit to a college, one of the CSU recruits today was retweeting somebody who went to Lavar's league. So I mean, people there there are players who are interested. I don't know how long he can keep the league going, but there's players who are interested. Well, yeah, I mean, he, if he wants his league to be an alternative to the NCAA, I mean, the NCAA is an empire and it has an absolute monopoly on amateur sports, right? So he's not only going to have to try to make his own league successful, he's going to have to try to cut into a monopoly. And I, it would take a ton of work and a lot of luck for him to even be able to compete, at least in my opinion. I think you'd have to play during the summer when NBA and college aren't playing. And I think the business model would have to be promoting his shoe company rather than trying to sell tickets to the games. If that makes sense to me, I don't know what you guys would think about it, but I think that's the only way he sustains it financially. All right. Well, um, I guess with that, uh, I believe we are going to close out this episode. Sean, Matt, it was outstanding having you guys on. Jesse, you as well. Yeah, Bob, thank you so Thanks much for having us. If you ever, you know, want us on again, just shoot us a message and we'll be happy. You bet. All right, and of course, um, and gentlemen, um, where can they uh, where can they find your uh, collective sites? So on Twitter, follow us at at the Reserve Media. And uh, Facebook, uh, I believe we're also under the Reserve Media. And then uh, the, what is it, Reserve thereservenews.com. Yeah, and for me, I'm mainly just on Twitter now. Twitter uh, is catch underscore N underscore shoot. All right. All right. And um, as for us, uh, the Horizon Roundtable will be, is as it has been, for since this second run um, on sportshacks.com, uh-huh. well, you can you, you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lavar Big Baller, L A V A R Big Baller. <laughs> Make sure to buy a six hundred dollar shoes while you're there. Uh, uh, yeah. We we're thinking, you know, no, stay geez. in your lane. That's all I gotta say to that. <laughs> stay in your lane. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen back to this and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Um, <laughs> I've injected for Lavar Ball where it doesn't belong. Um, but uh, the uh, as always, Horizon Roundtables on uh, SportsHacks.com and uh, wherever you can find podcasts. And tune in next week for another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Take care.